If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Lauren. I met Lauren through Instagram from her account Lowrider, where she shares a deep love of all things Disney, Care Pairs, Pink, and general 80s memorabilia. She lives in Melbourne with her gorgeous daughter, Lola. Welcome to the podcast today, Lauren. I would love to start by understanding what you went through, I guess, to decide to become a solo mum by choice. Um, to decide. Okay. Well, I have always, always just been baby crazy, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> always imagined that I would just grow up and be a mum. That was, you know, when when people have discussions about their career and, you know, what do you want to be? When you grow up, I would say I want to be a mum. Fair enough. Always, yeah, always been around kids. I've just always naturally gravitated towards kids. Um, often the weirdo in the supermarket, but you know, like the parent will would catch me having you know a little smiling interaction with their baby. Um, <laughs> you were that one. Ah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, and so obviously always just assumed that a certain part of that is that you grow up and you get married um, mm. and that's just something that happens. Uh, it's like a, you know, tick box. You don't mm. have to, you know, work so hard to find that person. Um, and so, yeah, spent the majority of my, I don't know, life, I guess, just, yeah, assuming that you get to a point that happens you then become a mum. Obviously, meanwhile, time's ticking. Um, I sort of, I imagined that, you know, maybe around 25 I'd be married and have babies and that didn't happen and then I got to 30 and it didn't happen Um, and it sort of, yeah, like I got into this weird situation where I felt really uncomfortable being my age yeah. um, because I feel like, you know, if someone says to you, oh, how old are you? And, you know, you're like, oh, I'm 34. Oh, oh you, you're not married. You don't mm. have kids. Like it's this weird societal expectation. Um, and, 
I sort of, yeah, knew other people that had gone through okay. this route um, yeah. relatively recently. Um, and I sort of just, like, it, it wasn't really something that I'd thought of for a long time. Um, one, financial reasons, I just always assumed that it was um, out of my realm of possibility because I've always been pretty terrible with finances. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see all my impulse purchases in the background. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, so I just sort of thought, you know, oh, that'd be great, but that's just something that really rich people do and um, I'm not really rich. And, you know, someone will come along. And so I sort of, I wouldn't really say I did too much online dating because, like, me on Tinder, I would just be going through Tinder going, do you look like my baby daddy? Like, would I reproduce <laughs> with you? No, 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 no. Um, and, yeah, so I kind of got to a point where I realised that like my motivation for that person coming into my life was so that this other person could come into my life. Yeah. It wasn't about there was, you know, there's never really been a part of me that I know that a lot of people say, you know, oh, I love my life. It would be really nice to, you know, have that person there to share it all with. And I just don't think that. Um, have you ever had a, like, a long-term relationship? No. No. Um, and I've seen, like, I've had, I've got friends who've, you know, been through shitty partner situations and it's just, like, yeah, I've had little to no motivation to just have that person in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, anytime I would delve into online dating, it was just purely for, you know, okay, I need to find someone, we need to fall madly in love in like, you know, within like six months so that I can be like, yes, okay, now I'm getting pregnant. Yep. <laughs> and, yeah, so then one day I just kind of thought, well, maybe I could just do this. Um, I'd also sort of worried about, because I'm the kind of person that worries a lot about what everyone else thinks about certain things. Mm -hmm. um, and so... You know, in the past I'd sort of thought, oh, maybe I could just go out and have a one-night stand and get pregnant that way. And then I just imagine all these conversations, of, okay, but what if this person was to say to me, well, where's the baby's father? Like what would I say? What would I say to that person? And, you know, sort of just worried too much about that whole side of things. But, yes, then one day just got to a point where... I thought, no, I can do this. Um, like I'm fully sufficient to, you know, give that child all the love that they need. Um, I'd sort of like vaguely looked into, I think I probably, my first step was probably joining some sort of group yeah. on Facebook to get a vague understanding of what, the costs would be um, because I was, I think I was conscious that if I was to contact a clinic and get, you know, point blank numbers, I would immediately go, oh my God, this is way too much. I can't, 
Uh, yeah. And so I just thought, you know, yeah, um, I guess, yeah, informally access that information and, you know, got a bit of an understanding of what was involved in the process. Was the and, cost what you thought it would be? Um, well, I like it's a lot. I'm not, you know, it's definitely a lot of money. But in terms of like I hadn't factored in any, you know, anything coming back from Medicare, um, you know, like that side of things. So, yes, it's a lot of money to outlay, but you also get, you know, a substantial amount of money um, back. But, yeah, so I then sort of realised that, well, yes, you could do this. You just need to be a bit smarter with your money. Shopping for a little bit. Perhaps need to save some money. Um, And so, yeah, that's what I did. I started to put money away and had a number in my head of the amount of money that I needed. Um, Turns out I needed a lot more money than that. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. And did you start telling people at that point that that's what you were considering? (sighs) I told some very close friends. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a very close friend who is a solo mum by choice. Um, So, you know, I was able to just sort of casually say, oh, I'm kind of thinking about maybe doing the same thing. Um, And, yeah, so I sort of, yeah, planted the seed with a few people, I guess, to gauge the response. And a um, positive response? Yeah. But it just overwhelmingly everyone that I told was like, oh, my God, yes, like, you know, I know how much you want to be a mum. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't tell, I guess, yeah, I probably told, yeah, like a really small group of people. And then when I knew that I was doing the process, I told my family, close friends yeah. um i think yeah just really just for exposure like so it was kind of like i'm doing this i'm going to be doing this thing so you know you can all have your time to sit on it and think about what that means were you overly worried about nothing in the end Absolutely. Um, I think the only, I had a conversation like where I told my mum, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And being, her being a mum, you know, immediate uh, response is concern. Um, And so she wasn't concerned about me not being able to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, She was concerned first she said you know well no you that person you need you need a husband you need a husband to have a baby no no I don't um and then she said how about you go find me one because I'm not having much luck yeah um and then she said well how how are you going to afford it Hmm. how much is it going to cost 
And I said, to be honest, I don't know exactly um, how much it's going to cost, but I'm just going to make it work. Like, I don't care what I have to do in order to finance this situation. It's happening. You're not stopping me from doing it. And your mind was made up at that point. Yeah. 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 Um, And, yeah, so she kind of, I think at this point, like this was all 2020, so early 2020, lockdown. um, So I kind of told her, wasn't seeing her regularly because we were too far apart, you know, not in the same radius. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gave her time to sit with it. Um, And... Yeah, I think from that we just had that one conversation and then it's never been, um, you know, there's never really been anything said about it from that point um, other than just overwhelmingly positive yeah. um, response. So you got your test done and you went for your first appointment? Yeah, which my first appointment was the, like, I went to a physical office, had an appointment. This was at the end of February mm-hmm. 2020. And then, like, from that point, other than, um, you know, collections and blood tests and things, any time I saw that specialist um, was all over Zoom. Oh. That was very weird. Um, but, you know, I guess fortunate that I could still have access to my specialist during yeah. a pandemic. And so what did you go through to get your gorgeous little daughter that you have now? Um, well, it wasn't as easy as I had anticipated. Um, so I very naively, um, <laughs> thought that, okay, you know, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it once. Mm-hmm. It's going to work. Um, I've got no pre-existing fertility issues. Um, so, you know, when I was seeing statistics about IVF pregnancies, I was thinking, yes, but there's, you know, there's people that do IVF because they have fertility issues, mm-hmm. and then there's you. So these statistics are all based on the people that have fertility issues, and then here's you with no fertility issues. So, you know, when I said earlier about how I had a number in my head of how much money I needed, that was because I was like, you were doing this once and it is working. Right. And I can tell you that in the end it was about, four times that first number. Ouch. Um, yes. And so I, um, yeah, started in 2020, had my first collection mid-2020. Um, yeah, got, I can't, I can't even remember. Like I've done, I feel like I've done so many cycles and granted not as many cycles as many people do, um, but I'm terrible with retaining the information in terms of numbers. Um, but I think maybe the first cycle I had three embryos. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so 
you know, had a transfer, okay, great, you know, it's it's been done at this point in time, you're going to have a baby, <laughs> you know, you're going to have a baby around this time. Um, and then I think that I tested, but I tested at a point where I knew that it was, you know, it could still be too early. Mm-hmm. So if I tested and it was negative, I could still think, well, maybe it will be positive. Um, and then, yeah, they called and it was negative and I just like I feel like I was, that just absolutely broke me. Um, well, if you're only thinking you're only going to do one round, and, which is going to work, you wouldn't have been prepared in the slightest for it yeah, not working, would Yeah, you? absolutely. Um, and so... At that point in time, being in the pandemic, living alone, um, I had to have a conversation on the phone with my mom, telling her that it hadn't worked and um, she felt awful because she just sat there while I cried down the phone and she could do absolutely nothing about it. Um, but then from that point, um like that one hit the hardest and then just seemed to prepare me for everything that followed. Um, so the resilience I did, you didn't know you needed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I even like I spoke to my nurse about it once and I said, I'm not getting upset anymore. Like am I, am I a terrible person? Like should I be crying more? Like I cried the first time and I said, and I haven't really cried since. And she said, no, that's actually very a very normal experience. And she said a lot of women um, going through the process just like, yeah, mentally prepare for the worst to protect themselves. And you just kind of go a bit numb after a while doing yeah. negatives and you're just like, when yeah, you do get the positive, you're, you're like, huh? <laughs> what? Very desensitised. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. That collection, I think, yeah, I think I had three embryos transferred. Um, none of them were successful. I did another collection. I think maybe I had two embryos. I had one transferred um, after five days. And then before transferring that last embryo, I had an appointment with with my specialist and I sort of said to him at that point um, that, you know, if I was to do, if I was to do that transfer and was to be successful, am I then, like, am I sort of shooting myself in the foot if I wanted to have future Oh, like siblings. You know, if I was to go back, you know, obviously you're pregnant for around nine months, then planning to breastfeed. So if I was to go back, it's going to, you know, would be potentially two years later. Um, And am I, you know, obviously in a worse off position then? So we had that discussion. We both agreed at that point that we would leave that one frozen for then um, Mm -hmm. and then plan another cycle. Um, which we did, and 
from memory we had no viable day five embryos. Um, and so at this point, like I've had, I felt like I'd had every test under the sun and with every test that I got referred to, you know, I just clung to, okay, oh, sorry, um, I'm going to have this test. I'm going to go back. He's going to say, oh, wonderful news. We've tested for this and we found out, you know, the, yeah, we found out this is the problem and we know that this is what we need to do to fix it. And, you know, I'd go for my appointment and he'd say, wonderful news, everything's fine. And I'm like, well, everything's not fine, Mm. not working, and there's no reason why it's not working. It's just not working. And so, yeah, my last appointment that I had with him um, was was quite upsetting at the time um and I sat there through the appointment just thinking um I just want this appointment to be over so I can go and cry in my car um because he like you know I went into the appointment gung-ho thinking okay yep we're going to talk about what's next what we can improve how we're going to make this work um because you know yes Obviously, I'd done three cycles that hadn't worked, but in the scheme of IVF, like three cycles is not like it's not a whole lot. Um, people do much, much more. And so, yeah, I sort of went into it thinking, okay, he's going to have ideas, different things that we can do. Um, mm-hmm. And he just pretty much said, obviously, there's an issue, um, you know, potentially an issue with egg quality. There's not really anything we can do about it. It is what it is. Um, He said, my advice would be, you know, considering um, adoption, not really easy for you to do in this country. So I'd probably be considering um, donor eggs or embryos. And then just finishes the conversation and says, how do you feel about that? Wow. Okay. Yeah. I sort of said, "Um, okay, I feel like maybe it's a bit, it's a bit premature. Um, like, yeah, obviously it hasn't worked yet, but also at this point it had only been maybe not even a full 12-month window. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you had some embryos in that time as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was getting good quality embryos. Um, it was just nothing was happening when they were transferred. Did um, you have the same donor for the three cycles? Yes, Yes. Um, And, yeah, so I had this appointment and, yeah, so we had this discussion and he sort of said, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to keep trying. Hmm. And he said, okay, well, you know, we can keep trying. Um, And then he sort of weird weird interaction where he said um he said think of it this way my job is like I'm a car salesperson he said you know if you if you come to me and you say you know I want this car I'm going to try and sell you the car that's going to be best for you long term um but you know obviously it's your choice so if you want that car you're going to get that car. 
So if you want to just keep throwing money at this and, you know, just keep doing cycles and see if it works, like that's fine. That's your choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and, yeah, like this this person is like well-esteemed. Yeah. Um, so it was just, yeah, it was just such a bizarre interaction. And so I, in the lead up to this appointment, had been doing a lot of, um, I guess, canvassing information um, in the Facebook groups, asking lots of questions about, you know, this is my situation, this is what's happened, you know, who's been in a similar situation what things have you changed? Who have you seen? Um, and there was this one name that um, just kept emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if we're allowed, are we allowed to name yet. Um, so the name that kept coming up was Dr. Nicolologist. Yeah, at that point had decided, okay, I'm going to do one more cycle with my current specialist. Um and I think that decision was, like, for no reason other than I imagined that there was going to be, like, an awkward interaction where, like, I was going to have to break up with my specialist. Were they at the same clinic or different places? Yeah, same clinic. Yeah, so um, like, I'm, I'm leaving this room because I want to go to that room. Yeah. yeah. So I imagined, yeah, I was going to have to have this really awkward interaction and I thought, well, if we do another cycle and that doesn't work, like, you know, I can be like, well, you know, it's not you, it's the situation. Um, <laughs> and so you really do care too much what people think, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yes, my plan was, okay, we'll do one more with this person. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to go to Nick. Um, and then at the same time I had decided that I would start doing acupuncture mm-hmm. because that was one thing that I hadn't done Um across the other cycles and, you know, when things aren't working, it's just you're just looking for things to cling to really, um, anything that might make a slight difference. Um, McDonald's fries, yep. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, yeah, so I decided to start doing acupuncture, just, you know, looked up, found someone online, first appointment. So she asks for, you know, my full, full history, um, you know, everything that's happened up until this point in terms of IVF. And so she says to me, you know, oh, who's your current specialist? And so I told her and um, and she went, mm, okay. Um, she goes, oh, yeah, just, you know, I sort of know, I know of someone. Um, she goes, okay, so what, you know, where are things at with, What's, ha- what's happening next with IVF? And so I had told her the last appointment and the conversation that we'd had and and she just couldn't believe the conversation that we'd had. And, um, you know, even she was like, oh, that sounds a bit premature to, you know, move on to donor embryos that quickly. And so um, I said to her, Uh, you know, this is my plan. I'm going to do one more cycle with him. If that doesn't work, got another specialist in mind, blah, blah, blah. And she says, no, 
she said, don't waste your time. Um, you know, if he's not changing anything, she said, you're just, you know, you're just relying on the odds hmm. to be in your favour. Um, she said, you know, I, because she currently an acupuncturist in the past had worked as a midwife. And so she said, I know someone who I used to work with when I was a midwife, he used to he used to be an obstetrician slash fertility specialist, and is now just a fertility specialist because he's he doesn't have time to deliver babies because he's in such high demand. Um, and she said, you know, if anyone can do it, it's going to be him. Yep, great. Okay, what's his name? She says, Doctor Nicolologist. And so I said, well, that's. <laughs> I said he was the person anyway. That's who I was going to change to. She said, yep, you're not doing another cycle. You just, she said, as soon as you leave here, she said, go out into your car, call. She said, because you will wait um, months to see him, um, which was very right. Um, Mm. I know that now he's in even higher demand. So I think when I booked it was, I had to wait three or four months. And now you're already at that clinic. Yeah, and now it's, I think, minimum six-month wait time. And so, yes, I called immediately from the car. Um, It was a very easy process being Monash to Monash, and I have never had another conversation with the previous previous specialist. So, you know, I imagine this nightmare scenario that just didn't even exist. (laughs) And, yeah, so I made the appointment in the meantime, he was doing acupuncture. My acupuncturist, she sort of knew, she was like, okay, well, he's going to tell you that you should be taking, here's a list of supplements. Um, and so she said, you know, okay, well, we've got, we've got three to four months before you see him. So let's, you know, do the acupuncture. Let's start taking all of these things now. Um, because they're going to take, you know, it takes, I think she said it takes three months for everything to, you know, in terms of your cycle, um, it takes, you know, minimum three months for all of those supplements to have made any impact. And that was mainly focused on egg quality. And so, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a number of different things. Um, and she also, yeah, was doing the acupuncture, Um, and just making sure that my lining was schmick. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, then I had my first appointment um, with Nick. He was very pleased that I was already taking all of the things that... um, He was going to tell you to do anyway. (laughs) Yeah, would have wanted me to be taking. Um, He, I sort of, I went to my appointment with a list of questions just based on things that you know other people had said in Facebook groups and um and I was sort of used to the relationship with the previous specialist was you know me going to him with questions of what about this and him saying oh no that's you know that's not really you know you don't need to do that you don't need to test your embryos you're only young um because he just kept telling, oh, you're so young in IVF years, because I was at that point 34. Um, you, you don't need to test anything. You will be, you know, the majority of your embryos will be genetically normal. Like it's just 
it's not worth the money. Um, yeah, and so I'd ask about, you know, oh, what about natural killer cells? Oh, no. Like I just felt like any time I went with a question, it was. Didn't listen. Yeah, essentially shut down. And so I, you know, went to my first appointment with Nick. Um, okay, I'm going to be really prepared. I'd written a list of, you know, ask him about this, ask him about this, ask him about this. And I did not have to ask him about anything because he just, all of the things that were on my list, he just brought up. And so, yeah, the next time I saw him, we were kind of, we had all of my results. We knew where things were at. Um, we were essentially ready to go to the next step. Um, I asked him about testing embryos. Um, you know, I said I've had this discussion in the past. Um, you know, I was told because of my age it's not really worth it. And he said, you've, you've had five transfers, none of them have worked. Um, he said, um, it's your choice, but... I wouldn't want to put anything that isn't tested hmm. um, in. I said, yeah, happy with that. And so we did stims. Um, another thing that was, you know, one of the things that varied from my previous cycles was that every other cycle when I went in for the scan, um, just, you know, check the follicles, um, they'd sort of say, you know, oh, yep, yep, you know, it looks really good. Um, you know, the specialist will probably want you to maybe do another day um, of the stims and then I'd get the call from the nurse that afternoon. Yep, good, you you know, no more, um, no more stims. This is when you do your trigger, um, blah, blah, blah. And that was one thing that I sort of, you know, along the way was thinking, well, if if I went further there, um, right. would that make a difference? Because, like, I was good at getting eggs but not good at getting mature eggs. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that was just, you know, one thing that previously wasn't wasn't really an option um, in terms of, you know, going further. And then, yeah, doing this last cycle, um, I went in for the scan, same conversation, yep, you know, looks good, your body's responding really well, maybe, you know, another day or two. And when the nurse called that afternoon, yeah, we've spoken to Nick, he's looked at your results, he wants you to do, I think it was I did two more days. Um, of the stims, which although that was what I wanted, it was also um, terrifying because I just kept thinking, oh, my God, what if you ovulate? What if you get in there and they're like, there's nothing <laughs> left? It's gone. Um, and so we did the collection. I had 15 eggs collected, which I had another cycle where I had 15 collected and I went from 15 to five to three. Mm -hmm. And I think this cycle I went from 15 to 12 mature to 10 fertilized to four day five embryos. Wow. Um, two of them suitable for testing. Both came back normal. 
Um, one was transferred and here we are. And here we are. Oh, sorry. Did you use the same donor for that round as well that you had been using? No. So there's so many little things, like little variances between all of the other cycles and this one, um, which was kind of nice because mentally I kind of just packaged up, you know, yeah. It was like, you know, this has all happened, new specialist, new donor, like this is, that's all in the past, here we are now. Um, so, yeah, it was the first cycle with that donor. Um, the second donor was much older than the first donor. Um, what were you looking for when you were choosing your donor? Look, I wasn't super particular. Um, I... My main priority was trying to find someone that was vaguely like me in terms of, um, I guess, features. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, that, you know, I guess I was thinking about, you know, having a baby that looks nothing like me and, you know, having 45 conversations that I'd probably never have. Um, but, you know, with strangers who would say, oh, she doesn't look like you. Um, must look like a dad. Yeah. <laughs> what does he look like? Mm, well, mm-hmm. I don't actually know. <laughs> and, yeah, I didn't. And, what? like, one thing, picking a donor at the beginning of 2020 and picking a donor like mid-2021 when there'd been a there'd been an increase in the amount of women doing it alone, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, but also being in Melbourne in many, many lockdowns, there was also a uh, significant decrease in the amount of donors available because yeah. they just weren't able to um, go and do the donations, I think. Um, well, they were stuck in the houses. Huh? And so, yeah, yeah. So, like, early stages, I, um, the process, I think it's changed now. I think now you get access to a database maybe. But at that point in time, it was essentially an Excel spreadsheet. And... I remember like getting the list and the list was maybe eight pages and I printed it off and I got out my highlighters and, you know, um, the first thing I was like, okay, I'm picking a donor with blue eyes because I've got blue eyes. And it wasn't until I'd started this process that I discovered that blue eyes are actually not very common. And so there were no donors on the list with blue eyes. Right. <laughs> okay, well, that's out. Um, and so, yeah, I just sort of went through the list casually, crossed people off, highlighted things I liked about different people. Just like um, your Tinder dating, yep. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Um, and, like, this process went over, I think I got the list on a Friday. So I had, like, the full weekend, maybe went back to them on the Monday, asked for extended profiles, 
got extended profiles. Yep, here's my top three, got matched with my first preference. Let's say four-day process, all very calm. Yeah. Um, had that donor, was able to be matched with that donor for the first three cycles, um, was then not able to be matched with that donor for the last cycle um, because he had gone on to max his um, availability mm-hmm. uh, because at that point it had been, I think it had been three, yeah, like four, three, four months. Um, and because I didn't have any embryos frozen, um, I wasn't able to remain linked to him, oh, has, yeah. um, which I wasn't really all that upset about because it was, you know, one thing that I was prepared to change um, just yet. Yeah. Based on my history, um, I wanted to change as much as I could yeah. um, about everything that had happened. And so, yeah, preparing for my third, sorry, fourth um, collection was around mid-2021. And so, um, you know, yep, okay, we've got to get the donor list send my casual email to the donor team like can I please get the list oh yep no worries here's the list I opened the list and there was one person (gasps) wow so different and I think that I even like responded to them and said oh there's something wrong with the list there's only one person on there and she responded and said no that's all that's available at the moment wow and so I was panicking I'm thinking everything is falling into place and I'm just not going to be able to do it. And so fortunately at the time I was working from home and so able to have my personal email open all the time. And so I would just every day send an email um, asking for the updated list and I think it maybe took, I think it was like at least three or four times before I got a list that had a, you know, maybe a handful of people on it. And so I sort of, um, it was kind of like it was just really fast and loose that mm. time and I, I got the list up, looked, I'm like, okay, yep, you, no, no, yes, okay, yep, and responded like this was all within five minutes. Wow. Um, yep, hi, can I please have extended profiles for, you know, this person, this person, this person? And, like, she responded immediately, this person's no longer available, um, this person's no longer available, here's the profile for this person, and... So I sort of, um, yeah, I think I think maybe I had two options, and one was I don't yeah I don't think I liked one of them, um, and then I had this other one that yeah I thought yeah okay this 
you know, I, yeah, I like him. He's not cream of the crop, but um, I liked that. I know that with it, in terms of information that people get from donors, there seems to be there's big variances between um, different clinics. And even within the clinic, um, I think that perhaps there's just like there's a base level that's required and then if they want they can give more um, because I know some of the profiles that I got um, had, um, you know, why what what had made them decide to be a donor and some didn't. Um, I know when and- I did it they said they actually get them to complete the form before they've even finished the counselling and stuff and then they just use that like they don't get a chance to go yeah, back okay. to it so they might not realise that they had to fill it all in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, so this donor had said, you know, his reason for doing or for being a donor um, was because he, his brother and sister-in-law had fertility issues and needed to go through the IVF process and he just wanted to help someone the same way that um, someone else helped them. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, you know, that's, that's quite nice. Um, no photo or anything of him. And so I, yeah, very quickly went back. Um, said that I was interested in that person. Um, and I think at that point they'd updated the list again. So she responded and said, "We've there's a few more people on there now. Do you want to have a look at the list again? Um, and I still picked this donor. Um, and so I got matched with him and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was, yeah, just like a little flurry of chaos um, just at that point in time. But yeah. It all worked out. So if you look back now and you could go back to that naive little (laughs) girl who started this process thinking it would just work in one round, is there anything you think you'd do differently or that you'd tell her? Um, I don't think so. Like it's, well, I would just, you know, obviously I would say it's all going to work out. Um, And it's a really, like I find it, it's a very surreal situation. To think now, um, like I've got Lola and she's just, she's absolutely the best. Um, And like she just wouldn't exist because, Mm. you know, it's not just a case of it didn't work up until this point. Like it would be a completely different person because it would, if it had have worked in any of those first three cycles, it would have been a completely different baby because it was a completely different donor. Mm. And so it's just, yeah, like I think about it now and I think if those cycles worked, she wouldn't be here. She wouldn't be here as she is. And she's just like, she's just the most lovable little human. And she's just happy and smiley and, like, we can't, we don't, we very rarely go anywhere without multiple people stopping us and just, like, they talk to her and she smiles at them and 
She's just, yeah, she's just a little blissful baby Perfect. who doesn't sleep much during the day. But, you know, can't have it all. Balance. <laughs> and so you have another embryo in the freezer. Are you still thinking that you'll be looking for a sibling for Lola? I don't know. I don't want to say, like, I don't want to say no, um, you know, just in case in 10 years' time, Lola says to her brother or sister, oh, listen to this, listen to this podcast where mum says you didn't want Mum never wanted you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know, like, I always thought that I would have. I think I always said that I would have four kids and that just came from the fact that I was a part of a family with four kids. So mm-hmm. it was just, that's what was familiar to me. Um, and then I kind of like had a bit of a, I don't know, I don't want to say epiphany, that sounds like a very big word. But I think that it was actually listening to your podcast um, where you or maybe I don't know, maybe it was your podcast maybe it was just on me you but, this um about the fact that you know if you were to have other children it greatly impacts the life that you know there's a big difference between the life that you could give that one child versus multiple mm-hmm. um and i feel very much the same um at this point in time um I just think like I've wanted this for as long as I can remember and obviously there are financial differences in you know a traditional family structure versus um a solo parent structure and I just kind of think yeah I don't want to have to work full-time, forever, to have, you know, more than one child but not have time to do things with them. Does she have um, lots of cousins then, given that you're one of four? Um, Well, she's got, like, I've got three nieces and two nephews Mm -hmm. who are all older. but one of my nieces, she had a baby in 2021. Um, okay, so that's close. Yeah. So she's got, yeah, a second cousin um, who's older than her, um, but that's okay. Um, and I've got, yeah, I've got friends with kids young not not the same age but um yeah I think that she'll definitely have people around have you thought anything at this point about donor siblings and whether you'll reach out to try and find any of those um I don't know I think at this stage I feel like like I kind of don't feel like that's a me thing. I feel like that's a Lola thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, for me, I guess, like, I don't immediately think 
that there's another person involved in this process. Like I just think she's mine. I don't feel like anything's missing. Um, you know, I said earlier in the conversation that I worried so much about um, what I was going to say to people and, like, when I was in hospital having her, after having her, um, you know, anytime anyone said, oh, and, um, you know, Lola's father, like, I was, like, screaming from the rooftops, oh, she doesn't have a father. Like, I did this <laughs> all by myself. Um, and, like, even last week I was out op shopping and, you know, someone stopped me to talk about Lola and, oh, she's so beautiful. Um, are you going to have any more? I was like, oh, I don't really know. And she said, are you still with her father? <laughs> and I like, yeah. Lovely way this, to put it. <laughs> this woman that I'd been talking to for about two minutes, no, actually she doesn't have a father. I I did IVF and used a donor and, you know, and she was like, oh, my God, that's, oh, good on you. That's amazing. Um, but, yeah, I just, like, she's just, she just feels like she's just absolutely mine and there's, you know, yeah, in my mind, no other person in the equation. Mm-hmm. But obviously for her, she's potentially going to be the one that feels like something's missing. Because I felt like something was missing before she came along and now I feel like like my life is just absolutely fulfilled. Um, but, yes, obviously she's going to be the one growing up, you know, having friends with two parents, being in class with people with two parents. Um, so I think, yeah, anything in terms of, um, yeah, donor siblings, contact with the donor. At this point in time, I feel like that will be driven um, by what she wants. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, that could change at any point in time. So if there was anything that you could say to anyone who's kind of on the fence or just deciding whether this journey is right for them, what would you say? Just do it. I think that, yeah, if this is something that you have been thinking about um, or, you know, have not been thinking about this process specifically but have been thinking about, you know, how much you want to be a parent and, you know, are perhaps still trying to find this other person, um, just take the pressure off. Um, I think, yeah, there's, like, in having that traditional family, there's no guarantee that that's going to pan out well. Mm. Um, And, you know, you could potentially be stuck with that person in your life forever because you share a child. Mm. Um, I don't have to share with anyone. But, yeah, I just think it's the best thing that I have ever done. Um, She's just, she's amazing. Um, She, yeah, doesn't sleep much during the day, but that's okay. Um, She smiles at me 
every morning when she wakes up, like if we, um, she's just moved out of sharing a room. She's in her cot in her own room now um, and it's it's a bit weird. I go into my bedroom before I go to bed and I turn the light on, which just feels like a novelty. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, before that happened, roll over in the morning and, like, sometimes she'd already be awake and, you know, she'd just be laying there and having a chat to herself. And as soon as she realised that I was awake, like, she'd just look over and just give me the biggest smile every morning. And it's just, yeah, like that feeling um, and just just the feeling of like just being someone's everything. Um, I have ab- absolutely no regrets. Um, I just think, yeah, like the conversations that I worried about having, um, I'm not having and, like I said, I just scream to scream from the rooftops to you know anyone that's willing to listen about um how I had Lola the only regret that I have is not doing it earlier um although in saying that like I did it pretty quickly from the point where I realized it was a possibility um but yes I could have realized that it was a possibility earlier than I did but then you might not have had the same donor and you wouldn't have your Lola exactly yes it's all worked out um and yeah just just do it just do it yeah thank you so much for sharing your story tonight Lauren I'm so glad you've got your gorgeous little Lola and I can't wait to see her in more very pink and very Disney outfit (laughs) so yeah all pink all day all the time I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.